Heavenly Father, we thank you for those words. Come, church, arise. We do need to arise. We need to show our love more and more and more to each other and to show our love more and more to those in the outside world because it is by love that people will see something different in those who are followers of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the passage in front of us this morning that will encourage us and challenge us more in that direction and remind us. So thank you for the reminders that are there constantly in your word because it's easy for us to forget. So we thank you for this now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing in our study of Titus. I'd like to ask you to turn, please, to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, we're looking at two verses, the first two verses of Titus 3 today. But before we actually get there, let me direct your attention to Titus chapter 2, verse 1. We have some things in this letter to Titus, obviously, that would be very personal to him. He is the protege of the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul is telling him exactly what to teach and how to teach it, and that teaching is important to us. And it's nice to see some of these personal notes as well. Look at verse 1, Titus chapter 2. But as for you, this is Paul to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Then some of that sound doctrine follows. Last verse, verse 15 in chapter 2, Another personal aside, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. And then as we get to chapter 3, another personal aside, he's telling Titus, you've got to remind the people of some things. And here they are. Let's read these two verses. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Some great reminders that are there. You'll see if you look very, very carefully that the first two verses that we just read in Titus chapter 3 mark a departure from where we've been in Titus 2. Because now the reminder is how we are supposed to relate to the outside world. It's not talking about internally. It's not talking about Christians relating to Christians, which is very important. And a number of the things that are here should be done that way. But this is talking now about the outside world. We have duties to the government and to what we would call the non-Christian or the non-church world. Because the church is not in direct view here. It is those outside the church. We didn't read verse 3, but if you look at verse 3, you'll see that clearly this is a departure. Because verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once, in other words, we're not this way any longer. We're not talking about how to relate to each other. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's another group, is what he's saying. That's not us anymore. And that's the group that we're going to have to know how to relate to. So in these two verses, there are seven Christian duties that should always be carried out by believers in society. 
carried out toward each other, but now it's broadening that to the outside world as well. So when you see the message title this morning, Relating to Others, please understand who the others are. They're all those who are around us in this world. We're told how to relate now to everyone. In other words, this is how Christians should live and act and react and relate to one another. This is how we should be, and that should make a difference. People will know us by our love, the love that we have for one another. They'll also know us by the love that we have for those who are outside that body. Interesting, these people already knew what to do, but they needed reminders. And that's what it says, and that's why it starts out, remind them. Both Paul and Peter did not hesitate to remind believers of their responsibilities. They needed to be told over and over and over again, even the most basic things, even something that we should take for granted. We're going to find out here nothing that is new, nothing that is novel in any way, but we're going to be reminded that as simple as this, you know, Christians should be nice people. Christians should be kind people. Christians should be the kind of people that others look to favorably because of the way we relate and the way we act toward them. It's a reminder. But the reminder is, you know what? We're not always acting that way. We're not always living that way. And all of us need to be. Take, for example, in Romans chapter 15, verse 15, by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. I'm writing to remind you. It's not new. You know it, but you're not doing it, at least not as well as it should be done. Otherwise, I wouldn't have to be reminding you. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So he's writing the same things they already know because they need to be reminded of it, how easy it is for us to forget, how easy it is for us to be lulled into the culture and to become just like everybody else around us is. I'd like to ask, if you will, please, to turn with me to Second Peter chapter 1, because Peter does the same kind of reminding to his readers. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to read these four verses, and you're going to see the word remind and reminder and recall. Verse 12, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What's he saying? I'm about to die. I'm going to die soon. I've left you some things in print. I know that you know them, but I want you to do them and constantly be reminded to do them. There is a way for a Christian to live and a Christian to relate to those people who are in the outside world as well as in the church. Look at chapter 3 in 2 Peter also. Chapter 3, first two verses. 
This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So we see Paul and Peter and all through Scripture, reminder after reminder, it just continues on and on, and it's here with us as well. Titus, remind them of certain things. There'll be seven reminders of Christian duty to the outside world. And if we're good students of Scripture, we're already saying to ourselves, seven reminders. This is then a self-test for every one of us. How am I doing? How can I do more? How can I represent the Lord in a better way than I've been doing? Seven reminders of Christian duty to the outside world. And here's the first one. To be submissive to rulers and authorities. Submissive, it's the same word that is used in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, the same word that is used in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, the same word that we've already seen in Titus. It's the Greek word hupotasso, which means to rank under. It's to recognize that there are authorities and I need to be submissive to those authorities. God is not a fan of anarchy. God is not a fan of telling us, live however you want to. You don't have to listen to any authorities. You don't have to obey any laws. You do what you think is best. That's what they did in the book of Judges. Everyone lived as if it were right in his own eyes to do whatever you wanted to do, but not so according to what the Scriptures teach. I'd like to invite you to turn to these passages with me. First of all, let's do one at a time. Romans 13. Romans chapter 13. believe that it is very, very significant for Christians to understand and to be reminded of how we are to relate to those in authority over us. Because if you're an observer of the world, you understand that right now there is not a lot of respect going on toward authorities. Right now there is a whole lot of more than even criticism that is going on. But what is our role? Why might we stand out if we're a little different in this area? So Romans 13 I'm not going to read all seven of these verses, but we'll get a flavor for it. Verse 1, let every person be subject, and that's the same word, hupotasso. It means to rank under. Let every person, did you notice that? Every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, we think we elect some of these officials who are in authority over us. This says differently. This says that God is the one who put into office those people who are there. Therefore, verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And it goes on to say that we shouldn't have to be afraid of those in authority over us if we're doing the things that we should be doing. And it goes on to say a little bit more than that as well. Let's also go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm 
Let's pick it up in verse 13. And by the way, this is a very unpopular thing to say today, what I am saying and what what we're reading right now. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We don't have an emperor, do we? No, don't answer that. Some of you would <laughs> might be tempting you to go the wrong way. Uh, we're to honor the one who's in charge. And all of those who come down to the lower levels of government. Romans chapter 13 is telling us that we've got to be sure that we honor those who are making the laws and enforcing the laws. We should have a healthy respect and honor to our police officers. And we've got a couple of police chiefs who are sitting here worshiping with us this morning and other police officers for which we're very, very thankful. And I hope that some of us take the time to tell them that from time to time. So we've got a situation here where the scripture is very clear what we're supposed to do. But what about if the government isn't up to par? What if the government isn't what I want it to be? What if there are leaders that fall far short of where I think those leaders should be? One commentator puts it this way, looking at these scriptures at this time. The Roman government under which the early church lived not only was thoroughly pagan and morally debauched, but also was despotic, oppressive, unjust, and brutal. When Paul wrote what he wrote to Titus, Nero had already shown himself to be a very evil and vile individual. So where are we today? We're not under Nero, but what if Nero were here today? Or what if somebody worse Here's what we read. The public's trust in the federal government continues to be at historically low levels. Only 19% of Americans today say they can trust the government in Washington to do what is right. Just about always do they trust them. Only 3% thinks the government does what's right just about always. Most of the time, only 16%. So when you add up those numbers, it's 19% of Americans today say they can trust the government. And that figure goes down. It's continuing to go down. Fewer than 3 in 10 Americans have expressed trust in the federal government in every major national poll conducted since July 2007. That's the longest period of low trust in government in more than 50 years. In 1958... When the American National Election Study first asked this question, 73% said they could trust the government just about always or most of the time. That figure of 73% has come down to 19%, and the arrow is still pointing downward. We're living at a time when if anybody expresses respect and trust of the government, you will be in a decided minority and you will stand out, and it's going to be a very unpopular position. Now, since these figures came out, we've had a highly acerbic presidential race, and no matter whether Mrs. Clinton or Mr. Trump had won, 
there was going to be a negative backlash all over our country. It was inevitable. And it doesn't matter who had won, whether or not these scriptures would still be shared the same way this morning. It wouldn't have mattered if Mrs. Clinton had won. I'd be saying the same exact thing because I said the same thing four years ago and eight years ago and 20 years ago. And if the Lord spares me, I'll be saying it four years. Maybe that's pushing it, but uh, sometime into the future. Because this is God's word and it is always true, no matter what's going on in the culture. How are we to relate to a president today that some very vocal critics will label arrogant, a sexist, a racist, a narcissist, a demagogue? And those are the people that are kind. I won't go any further than that. How are we supposed to relate the way we just read in Romans 13, the way that we read here in Titus chapter 3, the way we read in 1 Peter, the way in a moment we're going to see other scripture from 1 Timothy. That's what marks a Christian as a follower of the Lord Jesus, the kind of obedience that causes us to love even when it's hard to love. Seven reminders of Christian duty to the outside world. First of all, to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And then almost exactly the same thing follows. Also in verse 1 in Titus 3, to be obedient. To be obedient to whom? Well, the context tells us that we need to be obedient to the governing authorities. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. It's still referring to those same rulers and authorities. We see that also even from the definition of the word obedient. It's patharkeo in the Greek language. It means to be obedient, particularly to be persuaded by a ruler or to submit to authority. It's to conform to the advice that is coming from above. So we're told clearly to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. It's a different Greek word, but it means pretty much the same thing, that we are to respect and heed those who are in authority over us. Now, I do want to make a qualifying statement because the Scripture is very clear about this. It's very clear that there are exceptions to this general principle, and those exceptions are those that are very, very particular. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, because we want to see the exceptions to this general principle. It is not that we are to obey in absolutely everything. There are some limitations, but those limitations have got to be present. And we can't afford to be real subjective about this. We need to be very obedient. So Acts chapter 4, and we're going to take a look first of all at verse 18. And as we're looking at this, we're finding that this is Peter and John, and it's before the governing officials. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now they went on and they threatened them, and you know the rest of the story that takes place there. But let's also go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 and verse 40. 
when they had called in the apostles, they bear them and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So what do they do? Do they not speak in the name of Jesus? It says, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Well, why not? Uh, Because the principle, turn back a few verses, Acts chapter 5, verse 29. The principle there, we must obey God rather than men. That's the exception to this conformity or submission factor that we've been given. If we're told to do something that is contrary to God's word, well, we can't do that. But everything else, we're told that we need to comply with it. That's what obedient is all about. Here's an example. Bob Myers, brother of Dean Myers, do you remember the Washington sniper? I don't remember how many years ago. Do you remember the Washington sniper who was picking people off? And uh, The ninth victim was Dean Myers, and his brother Bob was being interviewed by Paul Zahn, CNN, about how he was dealing with his brother's death. And here's what Paula Zahn asked. She said, I know from my previous conversations with you, you're a man of great faith. You have very strong convictions. But are you bitter at all about what happened to your brother? And here was Bob Meyer's response. It is certainly something that one has to be vigilant about. But no, I would say that there isn't a bitterness. I believe that those responsible have to deal with the authorities that God has instituted. First, he instituted human government. And also God says that he'll avenge losses. So we defer to these two authorities and obey the Scripture that indicates that we're not to avenge ourselves as individuals. Do you see what's happening here? Here's an indication of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ coming out with the idea that God instituted authority, and we respect that authority. We live under that authority, and that authority is in team with God himself. They work together, and we need to work with both of them. Reminders of Christian duty to the outside world, number three, to be ready for every good work, we're told. It's not an insult. We said this last week when someone calls Christians a bunch of do-gooders. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be doing good everywhere. And once again, I won't take time to go over this, but you see that in Titus. It's in chapter 2, verse 14. You see it in chapter 3, verse 8. You see it in chapter 3, verse 14. It constantly is telling us that good works are a part of who a Christian is. Doesn't save us, but once we're saved in gratitude to the Lord, those good works should be flowing out of us all the time. And these good works extend beyond when we're with the church family. Those good works should be evident to our neighbors, to the people that we work with, go to school with, play on teams with. They should be seeing something different in us and the things that we do. In this context, we're to promote the welfare of the community. We're to be a positive force in society. We're to serve our neighbors and our fellow citizens. I have a quote on the the screen. If the only thing your neighbors knew about Christianity was your actions toward them, what would they think about Christ? Sometimes they put it 
Otherwise, they say, you may be the only Bible somebody else is reading. If the only thing your neighbors knew about Christianity was your actions toward them, what would they think about Christ? And we could ask, who is your neighbor? And Jesus answered that question. Our neighbors, anybody and everybody. But apply it even to our immediate neighbors. If that's all they knew about Christianity, if you were the only Christian that they knew, what would they think about Christ? That's a sobering question to ask and to answer ourselves. Galatians 6.10, then as we have opportunity, let us do good to how many? Everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. The song that we had sung earlier, they'll know that by our love who we are. And that's, that goes beyond us, though. Everyone, opportunity to show that love to everyone. So the best way for people to learn about the church is by seeing a face and hearing a voice saying, we're here to serve you in the name of Christ and God bless you, whether you come to our church or not. That's not simply the only motive that we do good. We do good for good's sake because we're told to do good. They come to church, that's great. But if they don't, we're still going to do good. We're still going to love them. We're still going to be the best neighbors that they have. We trust We're here to minister in love without asking for or expecting anything else in return. Reminders of Christian duty to the outside world. To speak evil of no one, number four. That is to slander no one. Some of the translations will use that word slander. Now we know more of the Greek language than we think we do. The word translated here as evil or slander is the Greek word blasphemeo. You know that word blasphemeo because it translates what English word? Blaspheme or blasphemy. So what we're supposed to be doing is that we're not supposed to be speaking ill of anyone. And certainly that applies here to the church. But it goes beyond that. We're not to be speaking evil of anyone at all. And certainly we need to be on guard that nobody here hears us speaking ill of somebody else in this body, but we shouldn't be heard speaking ill of anybody in any kind of context. This word blasphemeo, translated evil or slander, has other synonyms. It means we should never be vilifying or speaking reproachfully or railing at or reviling. Or The, the word calumniate appears there. We're not supposed to malign or to curse or treat with contempt anyone. We're not to speak evil to them or about them. That's not part of a Christian's makeup. That's not who we are. We're not called to do that. We're called to not speak evil about anyone. So if you hear yourself saying to somebody, well, you should have seen me. I went ballistic on him. Well, uh, no, you shouldn't be even a tad proud of making a statement like that, or I really told her off, you shouldn't have really told her off. Or saying of someone, you know what you are? You are, um, we'll stop there. Or of that person, do you know what he is? He's such a, and we should not be speaking that way. I gave him a piece of my mind. Well, maybe you didn't have a whole lot to spare. And you should keep that yourself. 
That word is used of how Jesus was treated in Luke twenty-two sixty-five, And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him, speaking ill of him, throwing any of those synonyms, vilifying him, saying what they ought not to be saying about anybody. They were saying it about the Lord Jesus. What a pity it is when Christians line up, <clears throat> excuse me, just like everybody else and complain and criticize others, including our leaders in this broader context, our government leaders, our community leaders. And what about school teachers and school administrators? What about any who are in authority over us? We should be very careful not to slander for a variety of reasons. Number one reason is we shouldn't be slandering or speaking ill of anybody because we're told not to. That should be the end of it. But there are a lot of other good reasons. You know it can boomerang when we say things that are bad about someone else. It can come right back on us. There was an elderly man who had serious hearing problems for a lot of years. His family tried again and again to convince him to get a hearing aid. Finally, he relented. He went to the doctor. He was fitted for a set of hearing aids that allowed him to hear 100%. A month later, he went back to the doctor. The doctor said with a smile, Your hearing is perfect. Your family must be really pleased that you can hear again. The old man replied, oh, I haven't told my family yet. I just sit around and listen to their conversations. I've changed my will three times. (laughs) Yes, it can boomerang. Speaking ill of someone else. What should we do to replace speaking ill in the context, again, of our government officials? What should we replace it with? We're always told not just to get rid of something, but replace it with something better. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. If you want to speed turn to that, you're welcome to do that, but I'm going to read that otherwise. First Timothy chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 1 to 4. First of all, then, now picture this as the replacement for slandering and for criticizing and complaining and griping about officials and, and others as well. First of all, then, I urge, strong word, I beg, I plead with you, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, And all who are in high positions, again, because God's not a fan of anarchy, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Reminders of Christian duty to the outside world. Number five, to avoid quarreling. This word is actually the negative of, and A is a a negative, and then in the Greek language, it's makos. We sometimes will transliterate it into macho. I want to be macho. That's what society says. That's, That's what real man's man is to be macho. The word means brawler, fighter, someone who's contentious. Instead, we're not to be like that. Ah, I'm going to take it into the English translation. Ah, macho. 
that is not God's way of dealing with because we're to avoid quarreling and we're going to go on to see that we're supposed to be gentle. And Jesus was meek and we're called to be meek as well. Avoid quarreling. You remember what it says in Romans twelve eighteen: If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So if it depends on you, you're not quarreling with anybody. You can't help it if somebody else wants to quarrel or somebody else wants to be contentious, but if it were up to you, you're not going to be involved in any quarrels. That's what we're told very, very clearly. Do you know what? I've got to say this in all honesty. Honesty. We've got some people around here who are quarrelsome. We've got some people around here. If we use some of these words like cantankerous, argumentative, negative, bitter, all that kind of thing, it appears that there are some who are like that here among us, and I, I hate to think what it might be like in the outside world with them. Let me tell you about some of these people. Oh, I can't. Number four, I can't to speak evil of no one. But we can speak truth to ourselves, and that's what we're supposed to be doing right now. I hope that all of us are doing that. Which one of these is me? Am I the one who's quarrelsome? Or am I the one who is trying as much as it is in me to live peaceably with everyone? We shouldn't be surprised, and we have no right to become hostile when unbelievers act like unbelievers. But believers should be different. And we need to be reminded from time to time that we need to be different. 1938... There was a Russian prison. There were about 250 miserable men who were herded together in one small cell. Among them was a man by the name of David Braun. Soon David became aware there was a gentleman who was there who was a Christian. He was in their midst. He'd been thrown into prison because of his faith. And as David Braun tells the story, this other man's peaceful, radiant face made him stand out in that awful place like a candle in the dark. He said you couldn't miss him. It was probably because of this that he became the target for the sarcastic and blasphemous remarks of two of the prisoners. They were continually harassing him. They bumped into him. They mistreated him. They mocked everything that was holy to him. But always he was gentle and patient. One day, David received a food parcel from his wife. When people are constantly hungry, receiving the food parcel is something that can't be described. It has to be experienced. David opened the parcel. As he looked up, he saw this Christian older man looking at his bread with longing eyes. He broke off a piece and gave it to him. To his amazement, this man took the bread, broke it, and gave it to his two tormentors. My friend said, David, you were hungry. Why did you not eat the bread yourself? Let me be, brother, he answered. They need it more than I. Soon I will go home to my Lord. Don't be angry with me. And soon after that, he died. But never again in that cell did David hear mockery and blasphemy. That old Christian man, a true servant of the Lord, had fulfilled his commission. Continuing in the same vein, sixthly, to be gentle. Duty to the outside world, we're to be gentle. 
The word translated here means to be considerate or yielding, not stubbornly insisting on somebody's own rights, but acting in courtesy and forbearance. Some synonyms for it are mild, considerate, patient. It's the gentleness of Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, where the believers there were told, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That word reasonableness is the same word. It's been translated as gentleness or sweet reasonableness. It runs counter to our culture. It is not what we're supposed to be, but it is what God wants us to be. Number seven, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And there we go again. We see the extension that is there. To show perfect courtesy toward all people, not just to believers. It's the Greek word proutes. It means mildness or meekness. The NIV translates it to show true humility toward all people. It's the opposite quality of self-assertiveness and harshness and arrogance, which unfortunately we still see even in the Christian community. When it says to show perfect courtesy, perfect is used here in the sense of all, to show all courtesy toward all people. We should show the greatest possible demonstration of humility or mildness and meekness to everyone. This word, incidentally, is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's translated gentleness as part of that fruit. It's all over the Scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness. There's that word. Do it with gentleness and respect. We're not bashing people. We're being gentle. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Example. Took place a lot of years ago, and you will see by the the, the money that is involved here. Many years ago, a 10-year-old boy walked up to the counter of a soda shop and he climbed into a, onto a stool. He caught the eye, the eye of the waitress and he asked, how much is an ice cream sundae? 50 cents, the waitress replied. The boy reached into his pocket, pulled out a handful of change and began counting. The waitress frowned impatiently. After all, she was busy. She had other customers to wait on. The boy squinted up at the waitress. How much is a disciplined ice cream? He asked. The waitress sighed and rolled her eyes. Thirty-five cents, she said with a note of irritation. Again, the boy counted his coins. At last, he said, I'll have the plain ice cream, please. He put a quarter and two nickels on the counter. The waitress took the coins, brought the ice cream, and walked away. About ten minutes later, she returned, found the ice cream dish empty. The boy was gone. She picked up the empty dish, then swallowed hard. There on the counter next to the wet spot where the dish had been were two nickels and five pennies. The boy had enough for a Sunday, but he had ordered plain ice cream so he could leave a tip to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's Christian behavior. How do we relate to the outside world? by being good citizens, by spreading good works, to stop being complaining critics, to not be combative, to be gentle, considerate, in other words, fruit bearers. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Remind them, Titus, that that's what a Christian is, and that's how a Christian should relate to the outside world. Heavenly Father, help us to relate to the outside world and the inside world with these virtues that were put on display for us even right now. We need to be reminded because we drift. We have a tendency to be carried along in the current of our culture and society. Help us to be better than that with your strength and according to your will made known to us now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.